morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Father's Day. It's good to see you. Man, I'm so grateful for, for men like Wiley. I love Wiley Cortez. And I love, I love that dramatic exit. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Bro, you're my favorite. He's such a good man. One of our care pastors here. And uh, hey, thanks for being at church. Uh, I can't think of a better day to come to church. You know what we say on Mother's Day? It's packed out because what mom wants is for everyone to go to church with her on Father's Day. <laughs> I'm just glad you're here because most dads are sleeping in and uh, it's so good to see you. Hey, can we just give a round of applause for all the dads? Say happy Father's Day to them and salute your dad. If you didn't notice on your way in, in honor of all the fathers, we have just an enormous amount of carbs just back there on that table. Dad, in fact, today during church at any point if you just want to get up and go get one of those they're like adult twinkies what do they call them they're called madeleines they literally are the adult version of a twinkie and i can't think of a better gift for a dad on father's day and if you're on a diet cancel it today dad it's your day and so we have we have snacks back there and that's for anyone so on your way out please take them if you don't take them they're going to end up at my house and i'm everything i've tried to do is just going to be ruined in one weekend so um we're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're here on Father's Day, and I love, I'm so grateful for all the men and the fathers in this house, whether you're a natural father or a spiritual father, um, thank you for your strength. We're a better community because of you, and uh, I hope today you go out and eat dinner somewhere, at the very least grill dinner somewhere, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on sweatpants, little shorts, because it's super hot out there now. I'm going to grill some meat, copious amounts of just meat, and uh, just celebrate. What a great weekend to celebrate. In fact, celebrating a really significant holiday in our country, Juneteenth. I'm thrilled that we get to celebrate that holiday. Um, celebrate freedom, and I think that's a good thing. We're making, we're making good way, aren't we? We're making good ground, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, I'm grateful that you'd come to church on a sunny Father's Day in the middle of June. God bless you. Just turn to someone and say, cheers. <sighs> And if you don't have coffee, you can always get coffee. That's one thing we believe here. Uh, you're going to find out real quick, if being a part of 116 Church, if you're visiting, uh, we love Jesus with all our heart and coffee very close behind. <laughs> it's always free. It's always on tap. I wish it was on tap. It's actually not on tap. But it is the best coffee in the planet. It's Five Stones Coffee. We love Five Stones Coffee, and so we're grateful for them. So please feel free to help yourself to that. Hey, today, I am um, I'm really, really excited to be able to speak. Here's what I'm going to do for Father's Day. We're going to start a series in, in a couple weeks or so. Um, we just finished a series, and we'll jump into another one. I'm excited about that. But I felt like on Father's Day, my gift to you, and really my gift to myself, can you give yourself a gift on Father's Day? Here's my gift to myself. I want to, I want to share and speak out of the passage of Scripture that has had the most impact in my life over the last 10 years. Um, no joke. This, I'm so thrilled to speak out of this. And if we've been friends for a long time or you've known me, there's a chance in other locations or spaces, maybe you've heard me talk out of this passage of scripture. But um, I'm not lying when I say um, there has not been a passage of scripture in all the Bible that has given me more guidance, more direction, um, just more peace and foundation than this passage of scripture. So I'm excited to get to it. And that's what we've talked about today. Sound good? You feeling all right? Hey, this stage squeaks really loud. So if you hear that happen and just ignore it, there's nothing I can do about it. I exceed the weight limit, they told me. So I said, forget you, man. It's Father's Day. All right, you got your Bible. Go with me to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. 
I'm serious about getting up and getting those Twinkies. Just do it, Dad. Go get a Twinkie. I wanted to eat one, but I can't because if I start, I will not stop. (laughs) Oh, man. I might do it, though. All right, Philippians. I'm going to read two places. This isn't my favorite passage, but this is going to, this helps me set up. Okay, so I'm I'm doing a little setup here. Philippians chapter 3, and I'll start in verse 12 says this, this is Paul the apostle. He says, not that I already have obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Point out just a few things before we go further. I love that Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Do you know that there is so much power in forgetting what is behind? Did you know that? In fact, if I just say that and we pray and call it, this would be a great day in church. If you could just leave here, like sometimes what we just need to do is forget what is behind. You keep thinking about it. You keep thinking about them, what they said, what they did, what you did, what didn't happen, what you thought would happen, what went wrong. Paul says, one thing I do, forget what is behind. I can't go off on it. I'll do it in a little bit. Also, I want to paint this. There's a space that's scripture. And go with me if I could like paint like a word picture. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. So there's, there's what's in front of you and there's what's behind you. And Paul is speaking from the space in between there. And this is a powerful space. He's speaking from this, 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 this space where he's forgetting what was and he's straining towards what will be. It's, um, it's the space between not where you used to be and not yet where you want to be. It's a powerful space and that's what Paul's referring to. Okay, now go with me. That's a good setup. Go with me to Acts. Acts chapter 7. I'll just read two verses. It says, um, and this is Joseph. He's, he's, this is going to be the passage I want to speak from. I love this, this story in, in, in Scripture. And actually, this is referencing an Old Testament story of Joseph and his journey. But look at it. It sums the whole thing up in two verses. It says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Okay, now this is just two verses. And in two verses, it starts out with Joseph being sold into slavery. That's bad. I mean, I I don't know how your beginnings begin, but that's, that's just a bad beginning. And then apparently... This, I'm going to let you know, this, these two verses, from verse 9 to verse 10, it encompasses 13 years of Joseph's life. 13 years takes place in these two verses. So it starts, Joseph is sold into slavery because his brothers, the patriarchs, they're jealous of him and they sell him. Then it ends with, and God gave Joseph and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh. And now he is the ruler over all of Egypt. Starts with being a slave ends with ruling a nation. So awesome. Can't wait to talk about this. So many things to say, so little time. Let me title it from this subject. Delay is not denial. With God, delay is divine. I know it's long. Write it down. I didn't want to change it. Delay is not denial. 
with God, delay is divine. Happy Father's Day. All right, God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're with us. I pray now in the few moments that we have that you would speak to us. Lord, I'm so grateful for the men that are a part of this house, natural fathers, spiritual fathers. Lord, would you help us to be the kind of men you've called us to be? Thank you for the women that you've put in our lives. Thank you for our children. Lord, thank you for this community. Thank you that it's made up of not a bunch of people who look the same, talk the same, act the same, and come from the same place, but we are a motley crew following Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you're with us and you'll speak to us now. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Ah, God, I love this. This is literally my, I could talk from this passage of scripture every single day for my life. There's been, there's been no journey in scripture that has more helped me over the last 10, 13 years than the story of Joseph. And I'm, I'm obsessed with, um, the in-between spaces of his life. For instance, it is natural for us as humans to focus and kind of commemorate beginnings and endings. Correct. Yeah, this is what we do. Like we're, we're all about the big beginnings and we're all about awesome endings. And so what we do is we make a big deal about that. And many times we neglect everything in between, like, um, like the first of something. There's always, you know, like um, the first dollar you made in your business or the day you were born or the day you started dating or the day you got engaged or the day you got married. Like there's always these earths. Right. And then we and then we commemorate the endings too, like graduation, retirement. Um, whatever it is, the end of something. We always, we love big beginnings and we love great endings. But so much of life takes place. In fact, most of life takes place in between. And it's in fact in the in-between spaces of life where we are actually enabled to accomplish all that God has for us. It's in those in-between spaces. But my My issue with the in-between spaces, as we'll find out as we look at this this morning, is there's something about the middle of a thing that is often incredibly difficult. Have you ever found that? Why is that the middle of something is so hard? Like, for instance, to get from childhood to adulthood, you have to go through puberty. Why? Like, do you remember that? Are you in it? You know, somebody like, don't look at me. I know, we won't. I'm sorry. But why does it have to be so hard Um, if you're physically out of shape? Like me, (laughs) exhibit number one. And you want to be physically in shape. Like Wiley, exhibit number two. You have to go through training. (laughs) Training. I've been doing this thing called 75 hard. I've had to modify it to like 75 solid and 75 so-so. You know, like because it's just really, really hard trying to stay in shape and train. Like why is the middle of a thing always difficult? It's it's my very reason when I go when I go running. When I say running, I use that, I use that word loosely. I kind of like, um, like valet jog, you know, like going to, you know, got the keys, going to get, you know, I kind of, this is kind of my thing. You know, like I don't even run for the, the feet go out like this. Um, I'll do that from time to time, but I won't do it around a track. And there's a reason because if I'm just going around in a circle, I promise you five minutes in, I quit because I can, because I drove there. My car's right there. And while I'm running in circles, I can see my car and I can feel the air conditioning and I can taste the meal that I could go get if I got in that car. So I just stop about halfway through. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard. I'm starting to sweat. My legs are starting to hurt. People are looking at me. No, no. And I'm great when I start. I'm great at the beginning of a run. What I do is I'll, if I want to run, if I'm going to go four miles, let's say, I'll run two miles one direction. So I only, the only way to get back is to go two miles back. So I, I, I trick myself, right? And when I say four miles, what I really mean is like a mile, <laughs> okay? <laughs> oh, I, I, it felt good to say four miles. I've never actually done that. So I'll go half a mile one way 
And the only way to get back home to the car to where I'm going to reward myself with Twinkies is to go half a mile back. And I start out. I start out like a champion, man. Put the earphones in. Got the earbuds. You know, turn on the Rocky music. And I mean, I start running. And I run at a quick pace. I'm tight. I'm going. I'm going, right? That's the first 30 seconds. And then when I'm done, when I'm coming to that last 40 yards, you know, I, 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 like, I kick it in, sprint it out, you know, throw my head back like chariots of fire. I'm like, yeah, and I come in like a warrior. It's the whole like 12, 20 minutes in between. Honestly, it's embarrassing. Like my form just, and I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like kind of walking, you know, I run at night on purpose because I know what I look like for the majority of the time. And it's, it looks like I'm wounded. It's like, is he a, should we help him? Like, is he, does he need help? I do need help. So my beginnings are phenomenal. My endings are epic, but the middle of the thing, it's just so, so difficult. Why is that? I once swam across Lake Washington. I don't know if you want to clap or <laughs> okay, stop. This doesn't insincere. Um, I can't run, but I am incredibly buoyant. So when I get in the water, things just go really well for me. And once we were, it was a it was summer, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And I was like, you know what? I've always sat at Lake Washington on this side, looked across to Seattle. I'm like, I could, I could swim this thing. So one year we're out there, we're barbecuing. And I look at my wife and my boys have a little canoe. I'm like, let's do it. And she's like, are you serious? And she's like, my big, handsome man. I'm like, you know what's up, baby girl. So I jump in. I, I started out good. Um, I did. I got all the way across. I ended up in a dog park somewhere in Seattle. My boys were canoeing behind me. So I got there. And what happened is on the way back, my boys were spent because they canoed. They were younger. And so I had to jump in the canoe and pull them both because they, they couldn't row anymore. And so it took me about an hour to swim across. It took me three hours to canoe back. Um, it was, it was miserable. And I'm going to tell you the truth. There's something about the middle. When I, when I came back, Jen couldn't believe I made it. She thought I died. She literally had almost, I don't know if you can call the Coast Guard at the lake, but she tried to call the Coast Guard. Like, where, is he in the ocean? Is he in the sea? No, he's in Lake Washington. You know, like, man, we, we don't go there. Anyways, so, because I'd been like, it'd been like four hours that I had been gone. And so the beginning was epic. But in the middle, I'm going to tell you the truth. I remember swimming in it. And my mind started to play tricks on me because the middle of the thing is hard. First of all, the shore never got closer, ever, ever. I just swam and swam and swam. It never got closer. In fact, I feel like I just arrived because every time I would look, it was the same distance. And I've been swimming and swimming. It just it's, it kind of does a, like a, there's like a, a mental thing that happens. Also, I began to have irrational fears in the middle of the lake. I remember legitimately thinking, what if a shark gets me? <laughs> I know we're in a lake, but I thought to my mind, I literally just played out over and over as I'm swimming in Lake Washington. I thought there's some evil person who years ago got a little baby freshwater shark and was like, I'm going to get him. And he threw the little shark in the lake. And that shark has been sitting on the bottom of Lake Washington for decades, waiting for an idiot like me. <laughs> like, I'm going to swim across Lake Washington, right? And I literally, I mean, I remember my son's like, dad, there's no sharks in here. I was like, but what if there is? Like, what if, what if somehow, because I started thinking about the lock system and maybe they got through. I mean, I really, it's amazing how when you find yourself in the middle of something, it's just so, so difficult because the middle of a thing can be very, very hard. At one point, I almost flagged down. I make it sound like I was out there in Lake Washington by myself. There were, there were yachts and boats and skiers everywhere. Like we were surrounded. And so at one point, I almost flagged down and I was like, hey, could you pull us out and just, you know, 
drive us into shore. And anyone would have done it, but I couldn't because my pride would not let me do it. And I could not face my wife coming in on a yacht. (laughs) I just couldn't do it. And so I never, and it it dawned on me um, when it comes to God, when it comes to life, when it comes to these middle seasons, God doesn't pull us out of difficult times. God helps us walk through difficult times. Did you know that? Um, God is not in the business of pulling us out of the hard times. God is in the business of taking us through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you, you took me out of it. No, 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 no. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Because he's leading you. He's protecting you. He's with you. But make no mistake, you are walking through the difficult season. So when I read Acts chapter 7, and it summarizes the journey of Joseph in two verses, it strikes me as, as very telling. It starts in verse 9, he's sold into slavery, and it ends in verse 10, that he's ruling the entire nation. So much happens in between those two points. So much. In fact, 13 years of seasons take place in Joseph's life, yet God doesn't pull Joseph out of one of them. He takes them through every single season that he goes through. How many times have I asked God to rescue me out of a season only to realize later that God didn't rescue me because he was using the season to get me to where he wanted to be? You know, okay, I've been Christian my whole life. Many of you have been too. Some of you haven't. Let me just let you know a little secret about some of us Christians. We pray for God to rescue us out of things all the time. And we get upset when God doesn't answer our prayers. And I'm convinced the reason God doesn't answer our prayers is because we pray the wrong prayers. God rescue me. God pull me out. God's not going to do that. In fact, many times God will take the seasons of our lives, the difficult seasons, and he will use those seasons to get you where he wants you to be. Oh, thanks for turning down the lights. Oh, okay. I was like, man, it got so much cooler, but it's all right. You can leave them on. I want to escape the season and God wants to use the season. I want out and God says, this is actually necessary for where I'm taking you. You can't skip winter. Did you know that? No matter, no matter how hard it gets, regardless of whether you like winter or whether you think winter is taking too long, you don't just get to be like, we're skipping winter this year. I wish we could, but you don't get to skip winter. The season's going to happen regardless of whether you like it or not, whether you think it's too long or too not. God takes seasons in our lives and he uses them. God works through seasons. I love what Wiley shared this morning. Purpose and time and seasons. Ecclesiastes 3 actually says, for every purpose under heaven, there is a season. So whatever season you're in, I could argue with you. That is God using that season in your life because he's getting you somewhere. So for Joseph, if you don't know the story, Joseph goes through three distinct seasons. First of all, he's given the promise as a teenager. He gets the promise from God. And it's a great promise. It's the dream. It's, it's awesome. You could call it the calling of God. And then he goes from promise to a pit because his brothers get jealous. And we read that part. And then what you didn't read, he goes from the pit Instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery to this guy's name, this guy named Potiphar, which is a weird name, but we'll roll with it. So he goes from the, from the promise to the pit to Potiphar's house. And then from Potiphar's house, he gets thrown into prison. And then from prison in a crazy weekend, he finds himself in the palace. So he goes from 
slavery to ruling the nation. But there are three distinct seasons in that. The pit, Potiphar's, which is slavery, and prison. He has to go through all those seasons to get to where God wants him to be. So I'd like to just take a few moments. I'd like to break down each one and see how those apply to us. So the Bible says that his brothers, which we read in Acts, they were jealous of him. Joseph was the youngest of 12, and his father liked Joseph the most. And so Joseph has a dream, and he has this promise that God gives him. And essentially, the dream is that he's going to rule. And so Joseph tells his brothers. The Bible says they hated him in their hearts. And so they conspire to kill him. They grab him. The Bible says in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 37, verse 23, it says that they grab him and they throw him in a pit. We all, we all know what it's like to be in a pit. In fact, they've made bumper stickers about it. Pit happens. Um, here's the interesting thing. Joseph would have never been in the pit had he not gotten the promise. It was the promise that got Joseph thrown in the pit. Did you hear me on that? It was the promise that threw him into the pit. Do you actually think that the purpose of God in your life will come without a fight? Do you actually think that the promise and the goodness and the blessing of God will come in your life without some kind of opposition, some kind of fight? It was the very promise that found him in the pit. And the pit represents injustice. That's what the pit represents. It's, um, it's not fair. My kids used to always say that they're young. It's not fair. To which I'd always answer, I know. <laughs> like, that's, that is the answer to life's not fair. I know it's not fair. There's nothing you can do about it. It's unjust. We live with injustices. That is a part of it. And the pit represents the test of injustice. Joseph has done nothing wrong. And yet the people who love him the most are supposed to take care of him. The Bible says that they threw him into a pit. You ask, how is this God? Well, don't assume that God wasn't with him. Don't assume that just because Joseph finds himself in a pit, that God's not there. Don't assume that just because you find yourself in a wrong place, in a difficult place, in a hard place, in a dangerous place, in a confusing place, that just because that's where you are, that God isn't there with you. Remember that verse in scripture where it says, even if I make my bed in hell, God will be there and he will hold me. So God was with Joseph in the pit. In fact, I think it is the pits of life that help us come to the conclusion of how much we need God. Have you ever heard it said that you, you'll never know um, how much you need God until God is all you have? That's, that's kind of what it takes sometimes in life. I hope it doesn't have to take, but sometimes when I realize all I need is God is because God is all I have. I don't have any other options. God is with you in the pit. If you find yourself in a pit, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's a promotion. Do you ever think about that? What you're calling a problem, did you ever think that maybe God is calling a promotion? What you think is actually there to hurt you. Do you think that maybe God is using to help you? You say, oh, so God threw me in the pit. No, no, God doesn't throw you in the pit. Life throws you in a pit. We throw ourselves in a pit sometimes. Sometimes I just walk over to the pits of life and I just freely jump in all by myself. But God goes with me. That's why the psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, then he'll be there. Like I, I, I made it, I set up, the, I, I did it all. And yet God is faithful and he finds me there. And what we think is gonna kill us is hurting us 
God in his sovereignty and his goodness could take what you think hurts you and he uses it to help you. Joseph's struggle qualified him for the palace. Do you know that? The struggle that Joseph goes through, in fact, he would be unqualified to rule had he not gone through the struggle, the pit and Potiphar's slavery and prison. That qualifies him. Okay, here's the thing. Joseph will go through this whole season for 13 years in scripture. And then at the end, he's gonna, he's gonna interpret a dream by Pharaoh. Pharaoh's gonna have a dream and he's not gonna understand it. He's like, who can interpret my dreams? Well, Joseph is, is, a, is a veteran when it comes to dreams. Dreams not being answered, right? So he, they get Joseph out of prison and Joseph interprets the dreams. And what Joseph interprets is that there will be seven years of famine. Seven years of famine. So Joseph has to go through 13 years of struggle so that he can help Pharaoh handle seven years of famine. Here's the thing about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's not used to not getting what he wants right when he wants it. Because he's Pharaoh. So he's, he, he has no strategy for struggle. Um, he gets what he wants when he wants it. He doesn't have to ask for what he wants. He just looks and people take care of him. So he doesn't have any, he needs someone who knows what a struggle is and how to handle the struggle. So he finds Joseph and Joseph's like, what? Seven years? Oh, this is easy. I got a plan because I know the struggle. I'm actually qualified because I've been in the pit. I've been in slavery. I've been in prison. So I actually have a plan for the struggle. It is the actual struggle of Joseph that qualifies him to help Pharaoh and to rule. God is with you in the pit. Don't feel like because you found yourself in a dark place. I was talking with a friend just recently and we were talking about how God sees us when we fail. I was explaining to him what the Bible tells us is that when you sin, when you and I sin, when we fail, when we mess up according to scripture, God doesn't see our sin anymore because Jesus died for our sins. So when I sin, and this is theological, please take this and understand this. God sees his son who died for my sin. That's what he sees. He sees Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. And so that's why, that's why we can be forgiven. That's why we have hope because the price has already been paid. That's, that's what God sees when we make mistakes. But many times I've asked myself this and this is what my friend asked me. He's like, but what if, what if you make the same mistake so many times? Like, isn't that the kicker? I believe that God forgive me my mess up a couple times, bad decision. But it's when I deliberately and willfully and knowingly just keep going back to the same thing. Yet God, we know with God, no matter what pit we find ourselves in, God is with you in the pit. And he will use the pit, not the pit that he puts you in, but the pit that you find yourself in. He will use it to qualify you for whatever he has next for you. God uses every season of our lives. So from the pit, the Bible says that he's sold into slavery and he goes to Potiphar's house. Uh, Genesis 37, 36. It says that instead of killing him, one of the brothers convinced him, hey, let's sell him to Potiphar, which is in Egypt, but he's going to be a slave. And this represents uh, temptation. Now, I don't know if you know the story. Joseph is a slave in this man's house. And this man's got a lot of wealth. He's not, he's not feral by any stretch, but he's Potiphar. And he's pretty good. And he has a big estate. And Joseph as a slave rises up through the ranks and he becomes second in command of all of Potiphar's house. 
but he's still a slave. But he's in charge of a lot, but he's still a slave. And Potiphar's wife, who happens to be a desperate housewife, she sees Joseph and she's like, I'm a looking and I'm a liking. So she goes to Joe and she says, you and I should meet and have coffee, right? And, and Joe, being a man of integrity, is like, no, 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 I, can't, I could not do it. So she's relentless. She's relentless. She won't stop. She thinks she's on a reality show and she thinks the cameras are rolling, right? So she won't stop. And so, so finally, Joseph, at one point, he runs and she rips his jacket off and he just, he keeps his integrity. He's a slave in another man's house and he manages to keep his integrity. And so the woman, because she didn't get what she wanted, now she's embarrassed, she falsely accuses him. She says, he tried to rape me. And so Potiphar comes, finds out you did what to my wife? And he throws him, he throws him in prison. Okay, so here is, here is the season of being in Potiphar's house. It represents temptation. Not just temptation to do wrong. Not just temptation to do bad things. That's, that's always a temptation, by the way. That's, we're always in the season of, of doing wrong things. That's just life. God helps us with that. I'm talking about the temptation to settle for less than God has for you. That's the temptation. That's what Potiphar's, it's the temptation to settle for less than. Okay, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, maybe, I mean, this isn't that bad. Maybe this is as good as it gets. Like, it's not what I thought. It's not what I feel like the dream that God put in my heart is, but it's good. And if I compare it to that person or I compare it to that person, like, I mean, it's way better than them. Joseph is in charge of everyone in this house. Like he lives in a nice place. He's probably got decent quarters. Um, he probably eats well. He's certainly got the eyes of the ladies. He could have things that he wants of the world. He's, he's got some respect. Potiphar trusts him with his riches and his house and he's in charge. And he's kind of, I mean, he could tell himself, but he's still a slave to another man. I wonder if it was tempting for him to be like, you know what? This isn't that bad. I mean, this is better than back home. Like I eat really good here. They got grapes and a bunch of hummus everywhere. There's women throwing themselves at me. I mean, I could, I could actually maybe just kind of like settle in. It's a temptation to settle. We all experience it. Can I tell you God's plan for your life? There is no plan B. There is no plan B with God. You might be like, no, 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 no. Well, I messed up so bad. You don't understand. Like I'm so off track. Yeah, yeah. Well, God is God. He said, let there be light and it happened. So he can take whatever it is and he can work it out because he's God. There is no second plan here. Do not settle for less than God has for you. Don't hit cruise control in life. Don't hit autopilot. That's dangerous, by the way. Have you ever done that on the road? I got this new car and it like put you on cruise control. It is super dangerous. Like I'll fall asleep because they're just doing everything. It controls the air conditioning and the heater and it pretty much drives my car, which is very scary to think that the, the machines are taking over. <laughs> All of you Tesla drivers, it's your fault, man. Like you started it. No, don't. Have you ever seen someone cruise control through life? You ever seen someone just hit autopilot? Just kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, got the job, got the, you know, got the old... Got the, old, got the old woman, you know, at the house. You know, got, the, got the kids, you feed them, you know, you got the games, you know, yeah, I go to the church every once in a while. Just kind of cruise control, cruise control. It's like sleepwalking through life. I used to be a sleepwalker. It's a dangerous, scary place to be. Have you ever seen someone sleepwalk? My boys used to sleepwalk. They're taller than me, they're bigger than me. And I would literally, I once slapped Caleb in the face because he was scaring me to death. I told Jen it was to wake him up. It's because I was scared. <laughs> He was screaming. He wasn't there. Like he was there, but he wasn't there. 
Like he was, he was eyes were open and he was swinging at me, but he wasn't there. He was sleepwalking. I once woke up when I was 15 years old behind the bushes in the snow at our house in Chicago huddled behind those bushes. It was like two in the morning. I just woke up and I'm shivering. I don't know how long I'd been there. Can you imagine if you're out for a walk two in the morning, you see me hiding behind those bushes in boxers. You know what I'm saying? That is scary. I remember, I remember like following my foot tracks back in the house. Like how did this happen? That is what happens if we settle in life. If we we just hit cruise control and just kind of sleepwalk through life. Like maybe this is, maybe this is all there is. Do not settle. God is not preparing your blessing. He's preparing you for your blessing. Can I just tell you that? You're like, I'm just waiting. God's preparing my blessing for me. He's getting it ready. God's already ready. He's God. God didn't start when start got started. God started start, right? So he's already ready with the blessing. He's preparing you for the blessing. He's not preparing the blessing for you. He's preparing you. The seasons we're going through, it is necessary. It qualifies us for what God has for us. So here he finds himself in Potiphar's. He's a slave. And so here's how this ends for him. Potiphar accuses him, his wife accuses him, and he gets thrown into prison. Now you will notice in the journey of Joseph that it gets worse to worse to worse. We already know the ending, but look, look at the progression. Starts out with the promise from God, ends up in a pit, then finds himself in slavery, Potiphar's house. And now he's in prison. He's thrown into prison. We will know from chronological timeline that Joseph will actually be in prison for two more years. Now here's what prison represents. Prison represents time. Time that we don't control. Time where you feel lost or forgotten. I always try and put myself in the place of Joseph. Have you ever been in a place in life where you're like, I prayed and I believed and I was doing everything God told me to do and he told me to do this and I was following him and I wasn't perfect, but I was doing my best. And then I just found myself in prison completely and utterly forgotten. Have you ever felt like God took a lunch break in the middle of your life? Like your life. That's when God's like, I'm going to take five, catch you in a second. And all of a sudden, here you are, and just, what's going to happen? And you're just, he's in prison. It's already been 11 years before he gets here. 11 years of everything going the exact opposite of what God had told him. And then he finds himself in prison, and it will be two more years. Time. And look what happens in that time. Okay, tells us in Genesis 39, it says that in this, in this passage that two prisoners are in there and they have dreams and they share their dreams with Joseph. Now, I want you to catch the irony, but also the test in Joseph's life because we can relate. These two men come to Joseph. He's in prison. He's been forgotten. At least he feels forgotten. He feels lost. He is literally as far away from the promise of God as he could actually ever be. He had a better standing in his father's house when he was a teenager, the favorite son of his dad, than now he's a prisoner in a foreign land. And two men come to him. They said, we had dreams. Could you help us? Now, if I put myself in Joseph's position, I'm like, what? What did you say to me? Oh, you got a dream. 
I mean, this would be a sore spot, right? Have you ever had someone come to you and talk to you about what's going on in their life when you yourself are going through the hardest time in your life? And they're like, hey, man, I just see someone. Could you, like, help me? And you're like, help you? Like, you, somebody help me. Like, I had a dream once. God gave me a dream 11 years ago. And here I am in prison. And these two guys come up to me and they're like, hey, man, we, we had a dream. And I love that Joseph doesn't like, yeah, take your dream and take your dreams and your promises from God. I'm done with it. No, he doesn't. Somehow, in the midst of his, of his difficult, difficult season, Joseph finds the strength to help others. Now, this is amazing right here. And this, isn't, this is God, by the way. I wonder if Joseph in the in this point, and I, I, I can't prove it, but I wonder if at this point he started to realize, okay, okay, this is, this is way too much. Have you had so many bad things happen so, so quick in succession that you're like, ah, uh, okay, clearly, clearly God is doing something because this is impossible. Have you ever had that happen? I've had things go bad so quick so many times that I'm like, I want to freak out, and then I stop and I kind of laugh, and I'm like, okay. God has to be involved here. Like clearly the devil's trying to kill me. God sees that because this is unprecedented. You know, it's like, this many things can't happen wrong. I actually take courage in that. I want sure someone's saying, I don't know if I theologically believe, but you know, if you never experienced pain or hurt, maybe you're not doing anything for God. I don't know about all that, but I do know when things just get so bad, it's kind of at that point where I'm like, all right, well, it can't actually get any worse. So where are you, God? I'm, a, I'm ready and expecting for this to shift. Joseph is so close and he doesn't even know it. So what he does is he helps these two men. He interprets their dreams. That's what he does. That's his gift, by the way. So he helps these two men. And I think the way, the reason he was able to help them is because he'd been in the pit. He'd been in slavery. He's seen some hard times. And so now he's kind of like, ah, it's all right, man. I've learned to operate when things aren't going exactly how I've planned. I've learned to keep my eyes on God and help others even when, it's, when things seem to be falling apart. I've been, I've been through some things. Have you ever heard that saying, don't follow someone who doesn't limp? Have you ever heard that saying? I don't know where I got that from. I think it's like an old war thing, but don't follow someone who doesn't limp because the limp proves that they've been through a thing or two. They've been through a thing or two. It's like, oh, you, you know, I do know from experience. Okay, so how do we get through this? So Joseph helps these two men. And then they say, hey, we're going to, when we get out, you know, we're going to remember you. We're going to tell we're going to give your name to Pharaoh. And they forgot. That's a true story. Read it. Genesis 39. They forget. And Joseph will sit in prison for two more years. Did everything right. Kept the right mind frame. And then he's forgotten in prison. It is at this point where most of us are tempted to just give up. Maybe find yourself, I've found myself in this season so many times in my life where it's like, that's, I just, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm done with you. I'm done with this. I'm done with him. I'm done. I give up. And can I just say to you, follow Joseph. Don't give up. Just let go. Because there's a difference. Giving up is an act of despair. Letting go is an act of trust. Don't give up. Just let go. You can't control it anyways. 
Like you're not in charge anyways. You know that, right? Like it's, if you're not in charge, if you can't change it, then don't give up. Just let go and let God take care of it. Letting go is me saying, all right, God, I trust you implicitly. I don't understand it, but I'm just going to right now. Once had a friend say to me, he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the will of God is like. Well, do what God told you to do last until he tells you to do something else. Just do what's in front of you to do. And if God wants to change it, he'll let you know. Well, how? He's God. <laughs> like He can do whatever he wants. So just do what he told you to do until he tells you to do something else. Don't give up. Just let go of it all. And I, I don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us because those two years, it's silent in prison. But I have to believe that Joseph just kind of said, all right, God, if this, you know what? If this, is, if this is what you have for me, then this is what it'll be. And I'm not going to put my hope in what you'll do for me, but I'll put my hope in the fact of who you are to me. So many times I'm putting my hope in what God will do, what he said he would do, the promise he gave me. And, but but really what my hope should be anchored in is who he is to me in every season and all seasons. God, even if you don't do what you said you would do, I'm going to be okay because I'm with you and you're good and you're with me. And we will be all right. I was talking to a young man a couple weeks ago. He's having a hard time. He's wanting, to, he's wanting to get married. He's wanting to date that girl, that special someone. And he's like, I feel like maybe I should just, I'm missing out, I'm missing out, I'm missing out. And we were sitting around a bonfire and I looked and I said, do you know that your wife right now is sitting somewhere? Like she's alive right now. She's out there. I don't know, she's probably having, she might be sitting around a bonfire with her family. Just having dinner, drinking coffee. And do you know that she, just because you can't see her doesn't mean that she's not there. So just hang on and just let go of everything you've been worried about and trust that God in his timing will work through every season of your life. You're like, man, I, I'm praying for God to pull me out of the season. Why would you pray that? Because that season is divine. He's using the season to help you. Paul knew it. That's why he wrote what he wrote in Philippians. Let's read it again. Paul knew this. Paul understood the art of letting go. Look what he says. He's like, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived. Look at the wording here. I have, not that I've already obtained it or have already arrived, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He goes on to say, verse 15, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold. Do you understand what he's saying? Like, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I haven't obtained it. I do not consider myself yet. He is literally in this space of not where he was and not where he wants to be. I used to always kind of like poke fun at this passage because Paul, I was like, Paul's like every preacher. It says, um, one thing I do. And then he goes on to describe two things. It's <laughs> like Paul, you know, just like a normal preacher. He's like, I got one point. And then he gives you two or three. He's like, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what has always joke Like, Paul, come on, man, that's two points. But then it dawned on me just recently. It's a simultaneous action. Paul is actually saying, I can at the same time forget what is behind me and simultaneously strain towards what is ahead. Do you understand? It's a, it's a position. It is this place of being like, I can be with God right here in this space in between. And what was, I'm forgetting. And what will be, I'm straining towards it. But I'm in this moment. It is literally the physical place of letting go. That's what that is. It is the place where we trust God. Trust God will heal the wounds of the past. 
because he does and trust the God that will lead us into the future because he will. And Paul says, this is the one thing I do. I stay here in this place. Can't change what happened yesterday. But I can choose to live today like I know that God is in control of tomorrow. That's what Paul's saying. I can't change that. So I'm just, I'm going to forget. I'm, just, I'm not, uh, when I say forget, you mean like never think about it? No, like don't. Have you ever been hurt by someone on social media? Now, I'll just be real practical. And you block them, but then you every now and then unblock them just to see what they're doing. <laughs> like, I know I shouldn't. I can't help it, you know? And secretly you want them to be doing bad, but they're like just living life to the fullest. You block them again, you know? I'm not saying like forget the memory, like forget the pain and what the devil meant to destroy you. Forget what is behind and look towards what is ahead, trusting that God is in control. And I can live today right now in this space, knowing that God is with me in every season. And it is in that space that God promoted Joseph from prison to palace in a moment. Oh man, this is my favorite part of all of his story. The palace represents the fulfillment of God's purpose. And the Bible says it happened in a moment. Now you and I know, because it says Pharaoh called him and the Bible says he went and washed his face and cleaned up. It took about an hour. It's interesting that the Bible puts that in Genesis 39. It says it took about an hour. He washed his face, cleaned him up. Because they're saying like literally went from prisoner to ruling the known world in about an hour. You know, people are like, man, overnight success. Do you know there's no such thing as an overnight success? You know that. That overnight success took him 13 years. But to everyone else, they're like, whoa, where's this guy been? I'll tell you where he's been. He's been being qualified in every season that God has taken him through. That's where he's been. That's where he's been. Like, man, just out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere to him. If you got Joseph, he'd be like, man, you have no idea. I was in a pit, and then I was at Potiphar's, and then they accused me, and they threw me in prison, and then I got forgotten. And you're like, you're an overnight success. He's like, my overnight success was every season that God faithfully walked me through. Delay is not denial. With God, it's divine. I would go as far to say that any delay in our lives when we are following God, it is actually the hand and purpose of God. Oh God, I hope we can get this. I'm learning this in my 40s. It's, I, I regret that it's taken me in my 40s to learn that when it doesn't work out when I want it to work out, that might actually be God. I'm more grateful for closed doors in my 40s than I am for open doors. Man, my 20s and 30s, open doors, open doors. Now, when God closes the door, I literally am like, oh, thank you, God. Because I've walked through so many wrong doors. <laughs> like, it was awful. So when God shuts it, I'm like, thank you. Thank you that you shut the door because I know you're protecting me from something. You're guiding, directing. That's how he works. He works through seasons. And the beautiful thing about this, when Joseph gets to the palace, first of all, he's able to save his family. If you read on in Genesis, he's able to provide for them in the midst of the famine. He's able to bring his whole family. They're reconciled. He forgives his brothers. They forgive him. He sees his father. Happy Father's Day. He, I mean, the whole family. But he's 30 years old when this happens. 30. The Bible says that Joseph will live to 110. So for 80 years, Joseph lives in the promise of God. Oh man, if that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what will. I've always kind of felt like when God like fulfilled the promise, I'd be in my 90s and I'd be on a cane and he'd be like, boom. I'd be like, thank you, Lord. You know, and then I'd got to go be with him. 
That is not what it tells me. No, it's like in our prime, in a moment, God can take everything and boom, and then we could live in that promise. And you know why he lived in that promise? All the people he helped. His whole life, he was helping them when he was in those tough seasons. And so God put him in a place where he could help the whole nation. Everyone came to Egypt. Everyone talked to Joseph because Joseph had the food. Joseph had the grain. Joseph had the plan. He wasn't qualified to do that at that level because until he did that in prison, until he did that at Potiphar's, I'm telling you, whatever season you find yourself in, I believe it is divine from God. You're like, so God put me in the season of cancer? No, cancer happened. God will take that season. You say, how? I don't know, but he's God and he will use that season. There's a family in our community that's fighting that battle right now. I talk to the man probably every Sunday and so much life, so much life in his eyes. He's like, I'm just living today, trusting God. I can't, I can't control tomorrow, but I can control today. And he comes up with his family and they're in church and they're, I mean, that is how we were intended to live. I can't control tomorrow, but I can trust in God. And I'm not, I'm not banking my faith on what God said he would do. I'm banking my faith on who God is. My hope is in him, not in what he could do for me. Don't get it twisted. It's in him. Do you think Joseph, if he could have come back, you think he would have ever traded those 13 years of struggle for 80 years of living the promise and purpose of God. No way. In fact, if you had told him up front, hey, here's the plan. 13 years is going to be rough. Brace yourself. I'm going to be with you the whole time. Get you through it. Man, it's going to get ugly. You're going to feel really, really low. But after that, you're going to have 80 years of living the dream with God. I don't think there's a single person in this room that'd be like, I'll take that action right now. <laughs> Let's go. I got 13 years in me. I am telling you, you could live today, right now, like you know that God has a plan for you. No matter what season you find yourself in. Are you in a pit? I've been there. God is with you in that pit. You find yourself in a, a pot of his house. Have you, have you settled for less? You say, I've already settled, it's done. Then we already determined that nothing is done with God until he says it's done. He can take anything. He's like, oh, I'm in the wrong relationship. I said I do. So what do I do now? God could redeem and reconcile and heal and bring love where there was no love. Can I tell you how many times I've seen that happen? Marriage is like, it's over. We don't even love each other. We already made the mistake. And then all of a sudden, God brings it back. And you have a love that you never even knew was possible. You're like, How? I feel like I've said this 50 times this sermon. He's God. That's what he does. You find yourself in prison. Time has just gone and gone and gone. And now you're in your 30s and now you're in your 40s. And I want to have kids and, I, and, and my biological clock or the job and the promotion. And now I'm getting and no one wants to hire a 50 year old. And I used to be young, but now I've lost all the energy. And now I, you, ever, you ever feel like, like it's, the time has passed? God redeems the years for Joseph in a weekend just redeems it. It's just done. God can do more in one day than you could do in 10 years. That's God in a moment. And that's what I'm praying for you. Delay, it's not denial. In fact, with God, the delay is divine. Jesus, right now, I pray for every person, whatever season they find themselves in on this Father's Day. 
Lord, that they would see that you are with them in the season. You walk with us, you lead us, and you guide us. God, help us to remind ourselves that we are not alone and that you are working in seasons and purpose. Lord, help us to anchor ourselves to you, not what you said you would do, not what we thought of you, but who you are, your love, your consistency, your strength. God, I pray for every person right now that finds himself in a difficult season. Lord, may they see you in it all. Give us the courage and the strength to be in the moment in between where we once were and where we want to be. And help us, God, like Paul said, to press on toward the goal which is Christ. Lord, we, we, we run towards you, not towards all of our goals and our dreams and our little objectives, but Lord, we run towards you knowing that you have a plan. Give us the strength. Give us the peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Every eye closed, if you're in here, give you an opportunity on this Father's Day to, if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus. And it's simple. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'd love to pray for you. So in just a few moments, I'm going to count to three. And if you're in here today, maybe it's your first time at church or maybe you've been in church for a long time or maybe you've walked away from God. And I know what that's like too. And you say, today I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow this God who's been following me. I'm going to follow a God who's been with me and leads me and helps me in it all. I would, I would love to pray with you. So I'm going to count to three. And if you're here and you said, Pastor, would you pray for me? Just raise your hand and put it right back down. Every eye is closed. It's between you and God. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I'd be honored. So on the count of three, one, two, three, wherever you are. Thank you. Anyone else? Just put it up. Put it right back down. Got you. In the back. Anyone else? Thank you, God. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us. Lord, in this moment, we confess that we need you. Can't do it on our own. Don't want to do it on our own anymore. Thank you for being there for us, even when we haven't been there for ourselves or for others. Lord, I thank you that you loved us before we first loved you. Right now, in this moment, Lord, we choose to follow you, put our faith in you. We trust you. We're letting go. We're following you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us. And it's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.